At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. No, I, I love that opening because it's, it's like, to me, it's funny. Like you never make any rational thoughts, but we always have rational thoughts in the show, guys. You know, it's, it's sort of the theme of it. And today I've got a really cool guy on here. He's a um, seasoned marketing professional with experience in some of the world's most iconic brands. You'll mention them on the show today. His background is with large multinationals um, and garage startups, but it's given him a unique perspective on how high performance cultures are built and leaders are formed. So it sounds basic stuff, but you got some very deep insight in that. So pay attention to uh, our guest today, Jarvis Bowers. Jarvis, how are you today? Good. How are you? Terrific. So I want to hear about garage startups and large multinationals. Well, it's the same, or are they probably two different people? Uh, in some ways, different in terms of, obviously, in terms of the type of resources and support yeah. and the quality of the food you get to eat. But in some ways they're very similar and that culture is important and um sometimes people think that if i can go to a small startup i won't have to deal with the bureaucracy and the weight and the dysfunction of large corporations and that's not always the case i don't think that's true it's what what determines culture is people and how people get together and what they value and what they're trying to do. So, um, no, they're, they, they all struggle from the same challenges. Um, they're just, they're, you know, it's, it's going to come down to who you're in the boat with. Yeah. So yeah, a culture of, uh, of two is still a culture. That's right. It's two or 2000, right? Yeah. Um, it's just, maybe nobody knows about the two. Um, so you mentioned that the show before we got started here, something really insightful about, I guess maybe it was culture and personal alignment. Um, yeah. You know, to expand on that a little bit. Yeah. And so uh, when I was at business school and, uh, and I will say, you know, we, management class and we all sort of scoffed as we went to management class, but the professor would say, you know what, you guys are going to, this isn't like court fin, but these, the things we talk about here, are the things you remember for a long time. And he was right. And one of the, I think it was a Harvard business case, and I won't go through the details of it, but the, the sort of discussion was around, here was a person who had sacrificed and worked and done the long hours and missed, you know, the countless uh, soccer games and et cetera with their family and missed out a lot to get to the corner office. <laughs> And this individual finally got to the corner office and felt dissatisfied, felt, uh, uh, you know, what, the, what was it all for? Was this really worth it? And the, the, the point of the case and the discussion was that, you know, the race to the, don't be um, fooled by the race to the corner office. It's not, it comes with a lot of compromise and make sure that you want to, before you sacrifice your whole life for it make sure that that's really what you want. And I've, you know, over the course of my career, I've, you know, I remember that case, but I also reflect on the fact that, you know, the, while that is an important and interesting story, there's also the more, the, the story that a lot of people spend time on is the opposite. It's those who are, who feel like that's where they want to get, they want to get to the corner office. We all want to progress, but it's the how, right? And, what are the things, and I, my, my message is that 
there are things in our makeup that are blind spots that we need to be aware of. Like, and that is, there's, it's sort of twofold. One is that the, while you may think that's what you want to do, you, you may not really, that may not really be what your end goal is. We're convinced and conditioned to think when, when, when be the C-suite, blah, blah, blah. And that is the pinnacle of success. But in fact, that may not be really what motivates you. And so my message would be to people, whether for starting their career, mid middle of their career and on the tail end of the credit, is invest the time and the energy to think about really what is it that you want and why do you work? Why, why do you go into this office every day and what is it you're trying to accomplish? Is it to win and to be at the top of the pyramid? Is it to do something meaningful? Or is it to interact with people that inspire you and keep you motivated? And I think that's a lot of work that we we don't all necessarily do. And so we get stuck in this trap of feeling dissatisfied and feeling like I'm not doing as much as I can. And LinkedIn becomes this sort of uh, competitive uh uh, it's, just, it's keeping score of your friends and your network and you're evaluating how you're doing when in fact versus your your networks when in fact you may be right where you're supposed to be you just don't know it i don't i don't know if it was you or somebody else told me they had a a friend or a client who was like a really good investment banker i mean just just right. killing it crushing it and he went through some evaluation like you're talking about and he wanted to be a stand-up comedian <laughs> yeah. is that what you told me that one no, it wasn't me. Okay. It wasn't yeah. Me. It was someone like you was talking the story and like, whoa. And now how successful were they as a Santa comedian? Eh, you know, moderate, you know, didn't get any uh late night specials out of the deal, but was able to do some do some you know headliners at clubs, whatnot. Happy as a clam. Right. And you that's know. the I, what you and I did talk earlier about is that that's the there is the the trap of the talented, right? That there are there are a lot of folks out there. Who's who are their talents are such that they are able to do excel and do things that they don't really necessarily like, and they're they're getting all of the positive reinforcement that we all want, right? They're getting all of the accolades and the promotion and it, the golden handcuffs, and it feels like they're doing what they want, but they're perhaps really not doing what they want. And so, kudos to those who are aware and have the courage because let's be honest i'm sure there are a lot of the sideways looks when this person said i'm gonna leave in my investment banking lucrative investment banking job and go hit the road but that's you know that's a life of authenticity and a life of integrity so kudos what are some of the um like most challenging cultures you've uh you've seen or had to work with in companies and you don't have to mention names of course <laughs> you want to uh, change a name to protect the guilty or innocent. That's fine. <laughs> I've had a chance to work at some of the finest companies in in the you know out there. Names that we would all recognize, mm -hmm, right? Um, you know, and I will. You know, American Express when I was there mm -hmm. was uh, first of all the model of leadership that I had was a guy named Ken Chenault and, Har and Harvey Gallup that preceded him. And Ken Chenault was the kind of guy. I was a summer intern right out of business school. Mm -hmm. He was the kind of guy that if he saw you across the hallway, and if you've ever been to that building, it's a rather large building, yeah. he would make a point to walk over and introduce himself 
as if you know you were the only person in the world and he made you feel like you mattered and that we were all part of something and so that culture uh was one of it was purpose driven i mean we were selling credit cards or charge cards or whatever financial services but there was a level of just pride about what had been done respect mm-hmm. for individuals and i'll give you an anecdote that sort of sums up that culture yeah. was i was a summer intern and one of our evps they would do these um, management months and it was beautiful and elegant and we'd sit up on the 50th floor out overlooking the harbor she'd give a presentation and then would say um any questions and you had a bunch of mba you know first uh, second years who sat on our hands and she walked around and said guys you're not here to simply take at face value everything we say you're here to question and to challenge and to try and make us better and that simple statement reflects a lot about culture and gets into the you know even sort of talks to a lot of the conversations that we have about diversity right which is an inclusion which is the point is not to have lots of people who look different the point is is to create an environment where lots of different points of view and perspective are surfaced so that decisions are made with full understanding of the broad constituents that you serve and okay. that you still may make the same decision but you're at least aware of what you're going to be doing and that's I, the point i i've always said and i i i probably get in trouble for this but i i'm not afraid you know most people i know are for diversity and inclusion from a you know racial basis or gender basis whatnot but when it comes to ideas not so much <laughs> yes when, when are we going to have a diversity of ideas when when's the last time you talked to somebody you vehemently disagreed with and had a regular conversation where you actually asked some questions and were genuinely curious about their point of view and i think that's what's been lost a little in our public dialogue and i think yeah. you're right in our corporate discussions yeah the point is yeah you know, I, I sit on cmo panels and Kevin's come and they talk about diversity and i would say the same thing like the worst thing you can do is get uh someone who hits a certain box and then ask that person to represent that group as if that group was monolithic and that you know there's one way for the african-american community to respond and think about other things that's wrong and you know the point is to have people who are aware of issues and um you know concerns and experiences and bring that to bear to the decision making process but yes i will tell you an anecdote i was on a business trip and i was flying back and uh i was in o'hare and i ended up sort of just sitting in the one of the bars in the terminal had a beer and it was a setup where it was sort of a space but you would have people sitting next to each other and there were three of us um sitting it was right before i think the 26 there it was right after the 2016 election and um one guy was from ohio and another guy was a, a iraq war vet from uh, from california and I'm sure we, well, I know we had different opinions about, we started talking about baseball, which is how all great conversations start in bars. <laughs> and then we started to talk about sort of politics. And what was, un- what was unique about it, to your point, is that 
we were able to have a conversation where we had different points of view, but we didn't yell at each other. We accepted our perspectives and we were perfect strangers. And, you know, uh, that's kind of lost here. And was as we left to go, it was only like a 10 minute conversation. And we left to, to, to our respective flights. And we like all shook hands and said, great talking to you because we're not, we're all in this together. It's just a question. We've lost the ability to talk about it together. You know, we need Archie Bunker and Meathead arguing again because there was something, there was some learning that came in those discussions. Certainly there was the, that, yeah, that, um, uh, you know, flying the wall. Meathead, I should, Michael, Archie and Michael. No, no, <laughs> Meathead, that's fine. We, I mean, we, know, we know who it was. It was a... Yeah. One of the best shows ever, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, my gosh, such such great lessons in that show. And it was, yeah, you're right. Having watching an argument is different than participating in one, because I'm, you know, I don't, you know, That's right. I, I we weren't. That was the thing about it. We weren't arguing. We each. Yeah, you guys weren't. Right? Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. So, what's the difference between that? How how can three guys at a bar, um, who have different opinions? get along and shake hands and go, wow, it's great meeting you versus what I see on in the media where people are, have this confirmation bias, which is so strong, their ears are absolutely shut out. Their hearts are shut out to even the thought of, of considering that might be wrong. Uh, I think, and again, I'm, I'm outside my, I'll share my perspective and it's just yeah. my perspective. I think we've, Somewhere in our social discourse, we've lost respect for our our, um, our respective experiences, right? Then, and so, you know, whether that manifests itself as a fact is no longer a fact, or you know, we are, yeah. I think we've we've we don't have as much respect, perhaps maybe as we used to, about uh, the different experiences that people that we each have. And therefore, that informs the different perspectives that we have. And somewhere in there, we lost our sense for what our common purpose is, which is strange to me. I mean, that's what made this made this country unique. I, for one, I force I watch I will watch CNN and then I'll watch Fox just to see how the stories are told. And it's amazing to me how vastly different they are and what we what one network chooses to cover versus the other network chooses to cover. I wish we had more, um, I don't know if it was ever straight down the middle, but I wish we just had more like discussion about uh, what's really happening. And, yeah. you know, science is, I mean, I don't understand uh, you're, well, I don't want to get too political, but. No, no, we can, no, we can, no, this, is not, this is my show. I want to hear your opinion. <laughs> Good. We can say whatever you want. Yeah, but it, you I'm know, curious, it's, it's amazing to me that you know, and I feel for a guy like Anthony Fauci because mm -hmm. man dedicated his life to yeah. fighting this event. Mm -hmm. uh, the science performs spectacularly, mm -hmm. and um, in some ways we failed him because we've we have turned a scientific major accomplishment into a political debate. Now I'm not again. There are some people who feel very strongly that mandates and all those things are wrong. Yeah. I just wonder, you know, it's so vastly different than 
saying I wasn't alive, nor were you, I think, in the 1940s. But the, the image I have is we all wanted to, that Americans signed up and went willingly to war to protect democracy. Right. We complain about having to spend some time watching Netflix and uh, getting a shot in the arm. And it's just, it's a very different sort of experience. So, yeah, um, yeah we, come, we saw a couple old guys now, don't we? I remember the day, back in my day, yeah. True. Well, Doug, I, I remember Walter Cronkite. He would tell the news in 22 and a half minutes, and we'd be done. There's now something like, to be said for wisdom, though, Doug. There, let's, there is something to be said for 24 wisdom. 24-7 propaganda. <laughs> I, I, I had to shut these guys off. I think I've tuned in, both of them, by the way, yeah. uh, Fox and CNN. I tuned in during 9-11, of course, and during the beginning of the pandemic. And when I'm bored, I'll, I'll turn it on just for a minute. And I, I doesn't matter which one to me. I'm like, if you remove the adjectives and adverbs from your statements, I could probably get the, what you're trying to say. Right. But there's such, I mean, even the graphics are designed, you know, for marketing, they're designed to hit our limbic brain and say, danger, everything's a, everything's danger and deadly. I'm like, no, life is beautiful. It's mostly green. So <laughs> I just go there. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, our, we have, there, things are amplified. Uh, as we've moved into this digital world, the amplification has grown, right? And so, um, and the reality is, I don't know if it was 80%, now maybe it's 60%. Let's hope it's, we can get back to 80%. But 60 to 80% of the country is are like the three of us that sat in that bar in, in Chicago. We're aligned. We agree. We want, you know, we want to be good neighbors. We want to be good parents. We want uh, our children to have a better life than we have and all those sorts of things. But there's, you know, there's a, there's some groups at the end that want to go to war over like stuff that in the scheme of things, maybe not the things we need to go to war. I mean, we need to fight over, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, we can go down that rabbit hole even deeper, but let's go back to the corporate world see how that applies yeah. to a, uh... The corporate world. I don't mind talking about that stuff, so we can go back to it. But when it comes to corporate culture, um, they're generally hierarchical in nature, right? There's CEO and VPs on down. Mm -hmm. um, I remember reading a little bit about some of the flat organizations, which were popular for a while, and now not mm -hmm. so much. What's your opinion on the uh, on the on the culture wars or information or dissemination of information in in corporate America? I've seen a couple of different models. And I think a company that I admire tremendously and that was fair and it's impressive in sort of how it is managed is the Disney company, right? And as vast as it is, and again, I was there um, uh, during the early part of the, when, Iger, when Bob Iger was running it. And, um, you know, they were able to use a fairly tight decision-making um, and I wasn't, I don't want to overinflate my role there. I wasn't involved in all of it, but what I would observe and see is they were able to make, they had a very tight leadership team that got it to nine times out of 10 seemed to get it right. Right. And they were able to make decisions. And I think I've said this before that the Disney company deserves as much credit for the things it chose to do as the things it chose not to do. Right. Um, because there are all sorts of crazy ideas and some of which I thought were great, but they were had the discipline to not do them because it didn't fit. Um, 
but then you know there are some there are, i've been in some organizations that are pride themselves on their flatness and i've heard everything from the metaphor of circles and tables and it's just decision making gets too complex too convoluted too slow and um opportunities are missed and um again you know decision making is i can oversimplify it and i will it's are you asking the right questions and are, are the right people and the right data available to come up with a decision? And then once a decision is made, are is everyone locked arms and lined up to go execute? And however you do that, whether it's you know vertically integrated or hierarchical or flat, that really doesn't matter. The real question is, is the right question being asked? is the right information in the room to, to help come to a conclusion. And once a decision's made, is everyone locked in and ready to go execute? At the end of the day, however, however you want to set up to get there, you know, that's less important than it is what happens in that discussion. Which, beg, which begs the question, who formulates the right question? Ideally, well, <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's the great question. I think if you go back to the analogy I used, or the um, story I related earlier, mm -hmm. um, some organizations like uh, an AMX would say, anyone, everyone should come right. prepared to ask mm -hmm. the right question. Right. There are others where it's, you know, don't, you know, if the C, don't ask, don't let the CEO, they follow the CEO's lead. I'm not convinced that always works. I, I have not seen it. I'm totally, not, totally works. agree. There's guys on the line that know that machine better than him. Right. And if he says, if you move this one thing and save you a, a 40 minutes of production, you better right. listen to the guy because he's on the thing for 20 years. That's, that's, I've seen, you know, and I'm the, I'm the guy and I'm, um, I have no, it's what I, I can look at myself in the mirror, but I'm the one who will ask, why are we doing it that way? And yeah. raise the issues. And sometimes yeah. that creates enemies. Um, yeah. You know, we all learn. I'm getting smarter. Someone told me early in my career, Jar, uh, getting the right answer is only 50% of it. The other 50% is convincing the rest of the people to agree with you. And I agree with that. But I, I've always believed and that everyone should be asking questions in a respectful way. In organizations that don't acknowledge that a question simply asked is not a assault, it's just a something to think about. I think those are the ones that sort of, that prosper over long periods of time when people feel like they can speak up. Because I think back to the leadership and the broader question, I really believe that people, I say this and it may sound, but people want to go to work to accomplish something. They want to feel good about what they want to do. And part of that also, they want to be able to be heard. Like whether that's where you get into like that's you can say that in a corporate America you can say that in our political discuss people want to be heard and acknowledged and their point of view reflected. No, they don't. There's a difference between being heard and indulged. <laughs> I'll make that distinction, but people want to be heard. That's good. That, that's a good transition because it, it goes back between like you said mentioned corporate versus social. We both want to we want to be heard. It's right. probably it's probably part of Maslow right in there in the middle. I think I'm like, hey, I, I'm here. I'm significant. Right. You know, right? It's interesting, huh? 
So uh, since we're talking about the trade-off and the only yeah. other point I, I want to make that we were talking about earlier about like, um, you know, in, their, in your your sort of drive and individual's drive to get to that corner office or whatever the right metaphor is, is I would just, my message to people and what I've learned is understand, you know, understand yourself so that you understand really what's motivating you to get there, but then also understand that there will be trade-offs that as you, in any role or anything, you're going to have to make the trade-off between what you believe and what you want, right? And there's sort of the, the just reality is your values. So understand that you're going to have to make that trade-off and learn to be comfortable with it. Learn to be comfortable and don't sort of, you know, go through the what if and I should have done that when you knew at the time it wasn't the thing you wanted to do. That would be my only other message. Yeah, unless unless you work at the time machine company, regret is a waste of energy, right? I mean, you've got to, yes. you can't go back. So yes. focus in the present and maybe the future a little bit, I guess. Yes. Interesting. Exactly. So I got a few minutes left here. I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear another anecdote. I'd love to hear a, a, a specific story. Again, names can be changed, but I'd like to hear a, a, a culture story that was uh, looked bad that uh, the amazing Jarvis was in to go in there and fix. Oh, you like the story where I went in and fixed something? Yeah, yeah. This is a toot your own horn, man. <laughs> you gotta be an author. Saying, you're gonna be an author someday. We've talked about this. Don't I know, know. We're, I know. We're building we're, our stories. I think um, I joined a company that was going that I think had a bright opportunity in front of it, but uh, had gone through so many different changes and had been mismanaged. And I think the um the team was so demoralized that you know they you know you get in there and the first thing is i don't know if you know this but this is like the third change we've gone through and blah 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 and you know i think back to the um there, this requires a lot of emotional and first you have to believe in the vision that you see and i did i saw an opportunity that um, was very real, but I also felt this pressure that time was ticking, clock was ticking and we had to move. So I invested a lot of emotional energy just in speaking truth to acknowledge the past. I took a lot of the blows of, uh, you know, we've done this and we've done that. I'm like, listen, we can keep talking about this and we can keep talking about what we did in the past and why it didn't work. And we can keep doing this. Like, but all we're doing is wasting time. You know, I'll use, you know, to quote Morgan Freeman's get busy living or get busy dying. So let's focus on um, how we want to move forward and how we want to um, what we want to become. And, you know, over time, you know, there was an energy built up and an excitement about the, what was possible. And that's exciting. Like that's when. That's when magic happens. That's when um, people start to respond and people start to lean in and you see people with their head up. You know, um, I don't know if it's a great, if it's a victory story because it was cut short by some other decisions that go beyond me and the rest of the team, but that's what's exciting. And I think if you can create that type of momentum, if you can um, bring that type of leadership to a situation, I think anything's possible. Right. And so um, I that's what I enjoy doing. Um, I 
I call myself a player coach because that's kind of I I like to see I get yeah you want to win you want to win on the field but you also I when you see people uh, working together excited motivated truly leaning in you know that's the fun of this that's I mean this is it's all about people like all of this is about people right let's um, and so uh tapping into the energy that the group has is is and it's in uh, addictive i guess is the word i use remember that old uh fable that uh, there's three bricklayers and the guy asks what are you doing the first guy says i'm laying bricks second guy says i'm earning 15 bucks an hour yeah the third guy says i'm building a cathedral there you go right you know? and i think right. uh infusing that that vision that idea of what you're doing is has purpose and meaning is so much better for a culture than here's your benefit package. Right. <laughs> you know I mean, right. yeah, you're gonna get a benefit package, okay? You're gonna get paid, but you can get paid doing anything. So, and I, you know, and yeah. the modern version of that is the yeah. I think it's Simon Sinek that says uh, people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Yeah. And right. um, and he does a very nice job of laying that out. And I think there's a lot of truth in it. I think there's a lot yeah. of truth in it, right? Yeah. And um, leaders are able to, real leadership are able to tap into that, right? And um, now there's, you know, it's not universal, but I think that's, I think if we can get back to some of that, I think we'll be better off. Navigating back to the, political because yes well, that, <laughs> i i haven't told anybody this but i'm i'm working on a, on a book about this um not political technically it's more about um how we bring people together whether it's one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many it doesn't really matter but there's such a lack of curiosity you know people don't, i'm not people aren't curious about other people anymore they just want to fight or argue about stuff I'm like aren't you curious they, about think, they think they know that's the sad thing yeah. There's a lot of like blanket statements and they think they know my people think I've had people tell me they know my experience better than me. And I say, I'm sorry, that I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that, but I, I'll tell you another story. And I think people respond to kindness. I was at a store just buying a battery, like or a light bulb. So it was a batteries and light bulb store. And the young man clearly was new was struggling with the cash register in the POS system. And he was nervous and he's like, I just stood there and I was like, listen, you got this, man. Just hang in there. You're going to get this. And his manager was off to the right and uh, was watching him. He was clearly nervous. And finally, you know, let's say it took three minutes as opposed to 30 seconds. And he, he ended the, he handed me the bag and the receipt and he said, thank you for being so patient. I'm like, dude, come on. If we all just showed ourselves, showed each other a little more patience, maybe this maybe this big rock circles the sun a few more times than it's currently on the trajectory to do. I mean, let's just show each other a little patience. I mean, it seems so simple, but why not? Is it? Did I really need to get get in the car two yeah. and a half minutes earlier? <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it goes back to like every technological advance we've made shortens the time to do it. Right? right, farming, cooking, everything. We expect things. To, Amazon, I want it today now. I can, you know, I'm not going to wait a week. You remember ordering things from the mail order catalog? Four yes. to six weeks for delivery. Okay, <laughs> you know, 
Do you this, remember uh, Columbia House? Yeah, the, man, the sure. Order CDs? Yeah. yeah, we were six weeks, four to yeah. six weeks for anything. Now, if it's not, you know, two days, it's like, yeah. what the yeah. hell's going on? Yeah, <laughs> patience is a is a is a is a virtue, right? It's 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 slipping away, and that was a great story, great example of yeah. Especially, everyone's had a first day at work, whether it's a guy's first day or first week. I mean, if you can't have any kind of empathy for somebody on their first day of the job, you know, you deserve, you need to go back to reform school or something. Well, and yeah, yeah, no, it's, and then and it wasn't that I'm sure there are others who sit there. It's just like, dude, it's okay, man. You're learning your job. It's fine. Take your time. I, let's get this right. Right. And I, yeah, and I think if we all can just have a little more of that in us, I don't know. Maybe we'll solve this big problem of ours. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same. We'll make we'll make a dent, man. It was a beautiful interview today. We'll make a dent, and uh, I look forward to helping you with your book when you're ready. Of course, you know, <laughs> you've got great things to communicate. And well, uh, I glad we did it. this, Doug. It was nice to finally do something, do this. Yeah. So um, yeah. And hey, listen, enjoy the rest of your day. It was great I talking with you. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Jarvis. Right. And don't forget to subscribe below. Subscribe below. Uh, you can like, share, comment on the podcast. And uh, share, of course, that was Jarvis Bowers, upcoming future author. And this is Doug Crow from the Author Brand Show. Thanks.